0: God, um, I don't want it to be anything about um, me being a charismatic person or friendship or personality today or ever, Father. I want it all to be about you. I pray that that your word would pierce our hearts today, that, that it would just be you at work in all of our lives So give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, help our minds comprehend who you are today. In Jesus' name, amen. The staff went to the ark yesterday, all of us but Mark Snyder, as he's still recovering. We went to the ark, and you just see this football-sized field, and you get inside the ark, and you recognize... Um, how ginormous this boat was. Not only when you get in there and you see how ginormous it is, like at the ark, you specifically have like walkways so people can be there. And people say, well, like how did you fit all these animals on there? Because whenever we heard the children's uh, church stories, we'd always picture like these huge elephants and these huge giraffes and full-size animals. But what they said is over, like, 85% of the animals were under 20 pounds or under. And just, you you get into this awe of who God is to think that somehow our God called a guy to build an ark. And then you just wrestle with, well, why would he even do that? Like, why? Well, because there's just evil in the world. And we we represent that evil because of how how good he is. But you just get in there and you're like just, I can't believe this, like God is so good. Almost like like the spirit of God is there. So really, I told Macy yesterday, God called two people to build an ark. The first one was Noah, the second one was Ken Ham. Nobody? (laughs) Worried you guys are thinking I'm speaking blasphemy or something. But being at the ark was um, such the encounter. Um, It was really cool. And um, it just made me think of Jesus. Made me think of Jesus going to the cross by which we've been going through the past um, couple weeks. So two weeks ago, Jesus was scourged. He was whipped and he was beaten. Scripture tells us he was beaten so bad that what? you couldn't even recognize him. Jesus did that for you and I. And then last week we learned a bunch of the Old Testament prophecies that prophesied about the Savior to come. And we learned this statistic that said, the odds of eight of those prophecies coming true was one in 10th to the 17th power, which meant you could take quarters and you could scatter them across the whole state of Texas and cover every piece of it two feet deep. And then you would mark one of those with X on it. And the odds are those eight prof- just eight of them, where there's over 300 in the Bible about Jesus, you'd have to mark one quarter with an X. And then what would end up happening is you'd have to walk through it and sift through it all blindfolded to find the one. How many of you guys are taking those odds? I'm not. You could tell me that there's a hundred Skittles in a cup and one of them will kill you. I'm not taking those odds. Right? Not going to do it. So, so, So we went through this idea of like, Scripture has proved from the earliest manuscripts, and the Ark has a few of the early manuscripts. Um, So we learn from the earliest manuscripts, man's writings about Jesus, that the things that they prophesied about a savior to come, he became that. So last week, some of those prophecies came true on the cross. When Jesus was killed on the cross, his bones were not broken. They gambled for his garments. They pierced his side. And what Jesus said is, it is finished. The work of the cross is finished. Amen? Y'all are going to mess up today. Now look, you better not intentionally mess up today. You just shouldn't. Now, Now look, sometimes, WE DO INTENTIONALLY MESS UP. SOMEONE PULLS OUT IN FRONT OF US AND WE'RE LIKE, YEAH, I KNOW I SHOULDN'T, BUT I'M GONNA. RIGHT? I'M GONNA. OR SOMEONE'S TRYING TO PASS YOU AND YOU'RE JUST LIKE, OH, YEAH, BET. <laughs> AND YOU JUST ACT LIKE NOTHING'S GOING ON, RIGHT? LIKE JUST DRIVING THE SAME WAY, BUT NOW YOU WERE GOING 45, AND NOW SOMEHOW YOU'RE 67 and THAT 35. YOU'RE NOT GONNA GET ME. SEE, IT'S FINISHED. IT'S DONE. All these prophecies that came about the Savior, the culmination of it came to its pinnacle last week. Jesus died on the cross. And now, if you were here for Easter, we learned the first part of John chapter 20. But the first part of John chapter 20, what ends up happening is Jesus dies. He... um, gets put in the tomb, they lock it, they seal it, they guard it, and it's done. How in the world could the savior of the universe, how in the world could the creator of the universe be dead? How could he be dead? How, how, how could he die? Why did he just not defeat the grave immediately? Why did he let people kill him? Is he really who he says he is? I would have those questions. I would have those doubts. And we learned about three people on Easter. You guys remember who those three people were? Mary, Peter, and John. See, what we saw with Mary is she was the committed servant. She was the first one there early in the morning. She's the first one at the tomb. But when she got there, what did she see? That the tomb was open and Jesus wasn't there. She didn't see him. Who took him? Who's playing a game? Who let him in? But what we realize is the soldiers, it would have been a bad idea for them to let anyone in that tomb. If they would have let someone in that tomb, it probably would have been their life. Because if someone steals Jesus, then they're going to think that he somehow made this or that he really is the Savior. And then there was Peter. Peter, the guy who just denied Jesus three times. Peter, the guy who wants to leave his faith, who wants to leave his calling, maybe not his faith, but his calling. And then you had John who showed up with an open heart, and they raced to the tomb. And they raced to the tomb to find Jesus, but Jesus had already resurrected the grave. See, there's many faiths where, or there's many fairy tales where people have died for other people. JUST GO WATCH A MOVIE, RIGHT? LIKE A LOT OF GOOD MOVIES, YOU JUST HAVE SOMEONE... IT ALWAYS POINTS TO JESUS, IT ALWAYS MAKES ME THINK OF JESUS, WHERE ONE PERSON DIES FOR THE REST OF HUMANITY, RIGHT? SO THERE'S A LOT OF IDEAS OF RELIGION WHERE THE a PERSON OF THEIR FAITH HAS DIED FOR SOMETHING OR MIGHT DIE FOR SOMETHING. But what has explicitly made Jesus different is not only the prophecies of the Old Testament of what the Messiah would be, but now Jesus has defeated the grave. In John chapter 20, Jesus defeats the grave. And if it wasn't for Jesus defeating the grave, then everything that we're doing here today is a waste. We might as well be worshiping the moon or the sun or your family, I was going to make a joke about we already worship our family, but then I felt like it was going to step on our toes, so if we worship our family, there would just be these ideas that anything that we now are serving is powerless. If Jesus didn't defeat the grave, then everything we're doing today is a sham. But Jesus defeated the grave. He conquered the grave. Jesus rose from the grave. He resurrected the grave for you and I, fully justifying us when he rose from the grave, Scripture says. So we stopped on Easter at verse 18. It was this. Mary Magdalene went to THE DISCIPLES WITH THE NEWS, I HAVE SEEN THE LORD. AND SHE TOLD THEM THAT HE HAD SAID THESE THINGS TO HER. THE WORLD WHICH ACCORDING TO SCRIPTURE IS BLINDED BY THE EYES OF SATAN, BLINDED, THE ENEMY GETS TO BLIND THE EYES of the world. So the world meaning as you guys we should have uh, or we should remember cosmos, right? Cosmos can mean multiple things, but often when Jesus refers to the world what he's referring to is the blinded eyes of those who who are under Satan. And you're like, "Well, how do I know if I'm under Satan or not?" Well, there's only two kingdoms. There's those who follow Jesus, and there's those who don't follow Jesus. And those who don't follow Jesus are blinded. So how do they become unblind? Jesus must do something. Jesus must open up the eyes of the blind. Amen? So, so when we face confrontation at work or when we face confrontation at certified or at the school or with our family members in the sense of, well, you're crazy, it's all a lie, what we recognize is they're blinded. So when this happens, if, if our eyes were blinded, we would say, you're crazy, woman. You're making this up. You didn't see Jesus. You didn't talk to him. What you did is you're just going through a mourning process. But where we start today is verse 19. It'll be on the screen for you. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, He showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. All right. Really interesting here. The disciples are worried that the religious leaders are going to come for them. Why? Because the religious leaders are the ones who killed Jesus. He was a blasphemer. So I remember when I was coaching track um, in Piqua, one of the girls was what she called atheist, and um, when she was atheist, she asked me questions. She said, well, Joey, all the Christians are doing stupid stuff like that one church down south. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, the Westboro Baptist Church. Why do I want to identify myself with Christians when Christians are hating people like them? And the Westboro Baptist um, Church um, explicitly contradicts a lot of Jesus' teaching about love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation. And it was a hot topic back in 2014 and 15. And I said, they're not my church. They don't seem to follow the Jesus that I follow. So just because these were religious leaders, it didn't mean that they were doing it right. A lot of religious leaders don't do it right. And to think that I'm always going to do it right, I won't. I don't. So please don't ever think that about me, or please, and at least please understand that I recognize that about myself. But these religious leaders are the leaders that had sent Jesus to the cross, And now what the disciples are fearful of is, look, if they sent Jesus to the cross, guess what? They're going to send us to the cross. They're looking for us now. So what do they do? They lock themselves up in a room, and it's dark. They said, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to protect myself. So how am I going to protect myself? We're going to shut ourselves in. So, to feel safe, they locked themselves up in a room with the lights off. Charles Swindoll, in his commentary on John, says this. He tries to set the scene of what it might look like. The room is dark, only a flickering oil lamp dancing shadows upon the walls. The windows shuttered and the doors barred. The disciples cower in the shadows. Nails bitten to the nub, jaws clenched, and in anxiety, heads aching, throats parched, tongues clenched to their mouth. The disciples are fearful of the religious leaders coming for them. See, in this moment, the disciples were trying to use what they could control to try to protect themselves. Has anyone in here ever tried to use what they could control to try to protect themselves participating? I have. Even just my emotions sometimes with Basie or my my emotions with my family or my emotions with leaders or my emotions with friends. You know, guys do a good job of compartmentalizing things. So I will compartmentalize and try to control what I can control just so that I can feel better about today. See, in this moment, what's happening is that the disciples are trying to control their future, control their safety. The doors were locked, the lights were off. They knew who was in there. Yet, Jesus is the only thing that can bring us peace. Not what you control. Man, I wish I could control a lot of things. Um, I try to control a lot of things. But Jesus is the only thing that can bring us peace. The disciples will not experience peace in a locked room, in a dark room, unless Jesus is there. And you and I will never experience true peace Look, if you don't know Jesus in here today, um, you've had fun in life. The presence of God is around you, but you've never experienced real peace. Jesus brings real peace. See, the door being locked can't bring peace like Jesus. And there's three things that Jesus does when he shows up in this room. Three things. Number one, He proved to those within the room that he defeated the grave. Look, the last everyone knew was, hey, dude died. He died on the cross for our sins, but they really weren't sure, sure that they knew who he was yet, and it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to search out your faith, right? So they're really not sure, sure at this point. But now in a room that's locked, that they they knew that they sealed, Jesus shows up. Jesus is king and is becoming ever clearer to them when he shows up in a dark room. So Jesus proved he defeated the grave. Number two, Jesus proves that our earthly bodies are different than our eternal bodies. They are completely different i don't know exactly what our eternal bodies will look like but i know that they're going to be glorified and i know that they're going to be completely perfect some people say our bodies are going to be in its prime i'm like i better start lifting weights like these guys because i haven't hit my prime yet (laughs) and then it's like well if it's my prime and my body gets big but then i have a bald spot up here what good is it I'm in a no-win situation now. No, anything in heaven. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. So, man, I can be overweight in heaven. I'm going to be all right. So, um, Jesus just appeared to them while the doors were locked. So, what the scripture's telling us is this. Is the doors were locked, but he didn't need the door to enter. Jesus... Jesus' new body, right, now it can just appear. It can go through walls. It can appear, do whatever he wants. It makes me think about what heaven might be like one day. When there's no more sin and there's no more death and we get to travel the new heavens and the new earth, where am I going to be at? Y'all already know I'm going to be on a beach somewhere. I'm going to be hanging out. Macy's going to be swimming with the dolphins, looking at plants or something. Jake's going to be scoring touchdowns. Keith's just going to be the security guard. Keith, you're going to be a security guard at heaven. Like, we're going to walk into heaven, and he's going to be the one standing at the gate like, yeah, man, you're huge. <laughs> Philippians three twenty one tells us this. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So when we go to heaven, guess what? Our bodies are not going to be the same. Scripture tells us that these are our lowly bodies, but there's a transformation that then gives us our glorified bodies, and what we're seeing here with Jesus is Jesus is now operating out of a glorified body. When he shows up in this room, we recognize that because he didn't knock on the door, he didn't um, come through the roof, he didn't know a secret way in. His glorified body was now given to him by the Father. In our heavenly bodies, time and space will somehow be different. The third thing that Jesus proves is Jesus brings peace. And when Jesus brings peace, he tells them very specifically twice within the scripture that we just read, as he tells them this. Um, He tells them twice that he's going to bring peace. The first one, or the first time that he tells them, he essentially is telling them that, hey, the peace, that uh, my peace is with you. So when he shows up in the room, right, and he says, let me just read it. Jesus came and stood among them, peace be with you. The first time that Jesus says, peace be with you. Essentially what's happening is it was confirming that he was who he said he was. So the peace that he's saying is like, you can have confidence in me. You can have peace because I am who I said I am. He preceded that by showing them his hands and his side so they could have peace that he defeated the grave. He was who he said he was. So since the first piece dealt with having peace with God, the disciples could understand this, and you and I can understand this today. My sins are forgiven. I can have peace. I can have peace. Right? I'm no longer a slave to sin. I can have peace. My future is secured. I can have peace. God has a plan through the crossroads, through the hard times in my life. I can have peace. The world is falling apart and in flames. I can have peace. I just lost my job. I can have peace. I can have peace, I can have peace, I can have peace. When Jesus shows up in a room that's locked, when the disciples were trying to keep everyone out, he proves who he said he was, and because he proved who he said he was, we can have peace. Amen? So that's the first thing he does. Jesus brings peace to them this way first. Because we are most effective for the kingdom when we are walking in his peace. When we are able to walk in confidence of our standing with him, we can become effective. Man, if I have to question who I am every day in the sense of, am I really saved? Now look, it doesn't mean that I don't challenge myself. Because there's a lot of days I'm like, a saved being wouldn't do this. So you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, buddy. And if you don't wreck yourself, Macy's gonna give you one of these. Jake, you haven't seen it yet. You don't wanna see this. You think that this is a pimple, boy. (laughs) kidding, it is a pimple. (laughs) The more we surrender to Christ, the more we walk in his peace, the more effective we can be. So I've asked, and I've shared this. A lot of people who come to me with their concerns right now, I just ask them this question. Have you connected with God in that subject? Joey, I'm dealing with work. I'm frustrated with this boss. I'm frustrated with this manager. I'm frustrated with my peers. I want to give up. I want to quit. I'm mad at God. Have you connected with him on this? HAVE YOU CONNECTED TO HIS PEACE? OR ARE YOU JUST VENTING AND FRUSTRATED AND DON'T CARE ABOUT HIS PEACE RIGHT NOW? JOEY, THE PANDEMIC, THE, the PANDEMIC OR THE pandemic? THE VACCINE OR NOT GETTING A VACCINE, VAX, NO VAX, ONE WORLD ORDER, NO ONE WORLD ORDER, GETTING OUR RESOURCES, NOT GETTING OUR RESOURCES, My kids, the school, masks, no masks. Have you connected with Jesus on any of it? Or are you just trying to protect yourself first? See, the the, the, the hard fact of the matter is this, is many times I don't think that we've connected with Jesus because we want the quick fix. And sometimes what Jesus, Jesus isn't a quick fix because what what he wants is he wants us to spend time with him. He wants us in every moment of the day to be in a union with him that just trusts him. And if Jesus gives me the quick fix, guess what? I take it and I run, and then I come back two months later when I need it again. So my answer to the world's problem right now is this, is connect with Jesus and find his peace. Connect with Jesus and get to know him in such a way in these areas that you're frustrated and disappointed and tired and fearful about. Connect with him. Connect with him. Connect with him. Find the peace through that. And that's why I say stuff, um, hard things um, from the pulpit sometimes, because I assume that everyone is... Um, as I develop in my communication skills, I assume that everyone thinks the way that I think. I assume that everyone knows what I'm thinking. Often I can't read well because I'm trying to talk so fast. But one of the things that I, why I'll say some hard things from the pulpit or step on some toes sometimes is because I'm like, well, aren't we all thinking that way? Aren't we all considering it that way? And it's really just because I love you that I want us to consider, like, connect with Jesus. And that's why I'll say things like, I don't want to hear you complain to me about your problem more than you are praying about it. And then some of us walk out of here feeling beat up, and I'm like, I'm not trying to beat you up. I just thought that you understood where I was coming from. I'm not trying to step on toes. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to simply say like, hey, there's so much more to life when you connect with Jesus. So, so if you are complaining more than you are praying, then that's why you're not walking in peace yet. I just say it the quick way, because I know I still got 10 more notes, or five more random stories I want to share. And you're like, just cut out the random stories. I'm working on it, okay? I'm working on it. Let me tell you about, though. Yesterday, (laughs) Jesus is our only peace. You know, like, um, I remember, here's one of those stories. Gosh. Do it or not do it, do it or not do it. I won't do this one. I remember um, leaving youth group one night here at the church. We had this thing called The Rush. And, man, we had like 100 to 150 kids from Champaign County in here. It was very highly uh, evangelistic. And I'm walking down Shy Road with my buddy Justin. And uh, I'm a freshman in high school. And while I'm walking down this road, we're walking to the house, and I looked at him and I said, I mean, like, I hit him in, like, six foot seven. And I hit him, and I'm like, hey, man, um, I think that God wants me to be a pastor. And we laugh about it. And um, he's like, well, why do you think that? I'm like, well, everyone likes me. And I'm like, people listen to me when I have stories to tell. And, um a lot of kids wanna follow me at school. Like, true conversation. And I'm like, I just think, like, maybe God's up to something. And then kinda forgot about that, right? I never had a dream to be a pastor. I never wanted to be a pastor. What I wanted to do is I wanted to run track, I wanted to be a high school principal, and um, God put a crossroad in my life my senior year where I broke my foot, and um, National Clearinghouse stuff, and God didn't do it. But what I felt like when I was in ninth grade and as an immature Christian, I felt like leading people was about you. Like I felt like people was more about, a, more about like a gifting or being charismatic or rallying people or people liking you than it was the peace of God. And what I realize now is any transformation that comes on Sunday morning is not about me. Any transformation that comes to your life through a conversation It's never about me. It's never about a charismatic personality. It's never about a gifting. It's always about the word of Christ and the love of Christ for you. So the peace of God always comes by him and not other people, amen? Now, God does call other people to be conduits of his love for the world. God does call other people to be conduits of sharing his message to the world. The second time he talks about peace within this paragraph, it is because Jesus is sending the disciples and those in the room to the world. God is sending the disciples and those in that room to the world. So this peace is peace that comes with us when he sends us to make disciples. VERSE 21, AGAIN JESUS SAID, PEACE BE WITH YOU. AS THE FATHER HAS SENT ME, I AM SENDING YOU. AND WITH THEM HE BREATHED ON THEM AND SAID, RECEIVE THE HOLY SPIRIT. IF YOU FORGIVE ANYONE'S SINS, THEIR SINS ARE FORGIVEN. IF YOU DO NOT FORGIVE THEM, THEY ARE NOT FORGIVEN. So Jesus said something interesting. He said, as the Father sent me. Jesus is saying is, um, now it's the disciple's job to continue the work of Jesus. So So what he's saying is, look, as the Father has sent me, and what did the Father send Jesus to do? To go out and make disciples. He says, now I'm sending you just like I sent me. And we learn this in John chapter 17, verse 18. Jesus says this, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, I've been very carefully saying this word, the disciples. Jesus is talking to the disciples, right? So in our mind, then we can say, Well, great, since Jesus is talking to the disciples, he wasn't talking to me. And sometimes the way that we look at disciples is this, is we say, well, the disciples of the church is just the pastor, or the disciples of the church is just the elders, or the disciples of the church are just the deacons or the volunteers or the leaders. Those are the disciples. Okay, maybe they are for argument's sake. But in this room in John chapter 20, and it's just argument's sake, it's really not even a good case. But maybe just for argument's sake, that's who he was talking to. Well, in this room in John chapter 20, it wasn't just the disciples, it was also other believers. So, Jesus didn't only commission the disciples, Jesus extends it to even more people. And the book of Luke it gives us a unique look into the night of the resurrection. So, Luke chapter 24. 33 and 34. They got up and then returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. The 11 they found, and who else? Others, those with them. So, it wasn't just for the disciples, it was for those with them. We must recognize here is Jesus just didn't send the disciples. He sends all of those who believe out into the world to further his mission. So, when I ask us and I plead and I talk about stories of me being scared to share faith with random people wherever I am, because it happens. When I share those things, I'm trying to share them out of the heart of like, man, I hope we find this peace in such a way that we're willing to represent Christ wherever we are. It's never out of a place of you're not good enough, you're unforgiven enough, or um, you suck. It's always out of a place of God calls you, God loves you, God's given you a purpose. So who in here, by just participating, who in here believes Jesus died and he resurrected the grave? Amen. So according to the scripture here in Luke, according to the scripture here in John, who is called to further the kingdom? Participating again. Who's called to further the kingdom? Raise those hands, baby. We are. And see, we get mad at God for that, but how is it that the creator of the universe, the guy that in the beginning spoke everything into existence, created you, created all the cells, created all the stars and the black holes. We can't even travel to the extent of the universe. God who created everything comes to me and says, Joey, I want to use you, and I say, I ain't got time for that. Like, man, I'm missing it, aren't I? Like, the creator of the universe has called me to do something, asked me to do something, wants to partner with me, and I'm like, Heisman, stiff-arming. Why is that? There should be such this honor that the creator of the universe would come to us and say, I want to give your life purpose. I want you to partner with me in, in my work. God is calling us to partner with him in his work. And it's not just buying Starbucks behind you, because sometimes the people you buy Starbucks for are other believers like Dave and Hope. David Hope didn't need me to buy Starbucks for them yesterday. And Starbucks didn't change anything about their salvation. So just paying it forward doesn't mean that you're a good person. What qualifies you to be seen as a good person is the blood of Jesus. Amen? So we're all called to further his kingdom. But Jesus never sends us or calls us to do this work without empowering us. He never calls us to do something that he hasn't qualified us to do. Now, what I mean by that is also this. It doesn't mean that it's going to look the way we want it to look. You know, like there's been many speaking engagements that I've had um, over the years that I think, like, man, after I speak, revival is going to happen. Then after I speak, you don't get invited back, but one person calls you and said, I gave my life to Christ because of that. I remember when I was coaching track at West Jefferson video stuff was not like a big thing at that point. So um, I had some of my buddies and they invited me to a party and I'm like, I'm not going. Like I love Jesus, I'm not going to this. So they invited me to come over and my friends are partying within like three miles of me. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do about this? So I got on Facebook, I used my MacBook And I made this video sitting on my front porch talking about who Jesus was. And I felt like an idiot. You're listening to yourself talk. You're not that um, familiar with public speaking at that point. And now you're opposing your friend group who you love, who you care about, who you've done life with for 19 years. And I'm like, don't even remember what I said. I could probably go back and find it. But it's one of those things, you ever, like, make a video or take a picture, you're like, I don't even want to look at it, but you know you have to keep it? Come on, somebody. Like, (laughs) I can listen to it, like, sermons now, uh, and they don't embarrass me, um, unless I say something stupid. Um, So, like, every week it embarrasses you? (laughs) No, because I don't think it's stupid. Um... But whatever it was, 10, 12 years ago, I make this video. It was 12 years ago, 2009. I make this video, and I post it on Facebook, and I felt like an idiot. Complete idiot. It's one of those things that you're like, I got to take it off right now. Not even post it. There was one person. One person liked it. I go to track practice the next day, and this girl on the track team came up to me. She said, hey, I saw your video last night, and after I saw your video last night, I gave my life to Christ right then and right there in my bedroom. like, what? She's like, yes. She said, I'm going to church this Sunday. To this day, this girl's married. She's got like a litter of kids. (laughs) I wish I could be like the Campbells and have a litter, too. Had a litter of kids. She serves in the church, regularly, regularly attending. And it's just like, man, God is at work. God empowers us. When, when God calls us to do something, He empowers us to do it. It doesn't mean it's going to feel good. Amen? Amen. So even if it's the one, that's what matters. So after Jesus tells them that he's sending them to do the work, he communicates to them, hey, receive the Holy Spirit because they lack the power needed to further his work. So there's this receiving that they need to receive, right? The Holy Spirit. Now, my belief would be this now. Is when we are born again, when um, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, something, some kind of cleanliness has to come over us, right? Because we're dirty, we're sinful, um, we're going to be damned to hell unless we, unless the blood of Jesus pours over us. And when that blood of Jesus pours over us, we become a new creation, right? So we must become that new creation. Because we can't be the old, we have to be the new. So when we become that new creation, then I believe that we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the transforming work and we receive the Holy Spirit. I do also believe that there's times that the Holy Spirit increases himself within you. I believe that the more time we spend with God, that the more um, it's easier for us to be able to be moved by the Spirit, to submit to the Spirit. And what he's saying to them here is, hey, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Verse 22, it says this, "And and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is unique because this is the same way he breathed on them the same way that he breathed to create in the beginning of time. So what we see here is as this breath of God as he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit, guess what? That's the same creative power that he breathed on them at the be- uh, breathed to create the heavens and the earth. Breathe to create everything in the beginning. So when God breathes, there's a creative power. So what we see here is as God is breathing on the disciples, there's this creative work that he's also doing within them. Many people would like to suggest that as he breathed on them, this was actually the disciples being born again. Um, I'm not going to preach that. Uh, I highly see a scenario by which that's the case. So he breathes on them, just like Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. That power is what happens to us when we receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was giving them the Holy Spirit, empowering them with the Holy Spirit, not just to sit at a state of redeemed, but to go to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus empowers us or sends us somewhere, he's also equipping us to go do that work. Amen? Jesus never told them to go to the world. Sorry. Jesus never told the world to go to church. You guys recognize that? I don't read the scripture where Jesus says, and then Jesus said, world, go to church. What does he actually say? He caused the church to go where? Into the world. Right. See, see, we, we could actually probably preach a whole series on the church going to the world, on you and I going to the world, because when we take a step back and we reflect Inside of all of us, inside of all of us, there's this piece that just wants to say, I just want Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship to grow, to fill the seats, and me not have to do much about it other than partner with Shambay and Haley and be a dork reader. Now, I also want you guys to continually learn who I am, because it's important that that to a certain degree you, you trust your pastor and you don't feel like I'm beating you up. So Macy and I recently, we were with some dear people that we love and it seems like every time we go hang out with them, someone at the house, one of the spouses ends up just leaving. And we're like, wait a second, we planned our whole day to come hang out with you and now you left. And um, this happened on three occasions three occasions this has happened with this person, and we're like, what the heck? Like, why are you going to have us over, and then you just leave? That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Anyone ever had that happen to you? (laughs) Well, you don't want it to happen. So we're on the way home, and Macy's talking to me, and she's brokenhearted. Why is this person leaving like they leave for two hours and then they come back, like right when we're leaving? What have we done? Why are they doing this way? They say we don't care about them. We prove that we care about them. And then they leave. So she's talking to me. And she's not looking to be malicious. She's not looking to be uh, mean. She's looking to express her heart. And while she's expressing her heart with this frustration, I end up saying this. I hear you. (laughs) And it might not be the right, pers- it, 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 it's a biblical perspective, it is. In the moment, I'm not sure. Macy dealt with it in a very mature way and agrees with it. But what I ended up telling her is I said, Macy, look, I understand what you're saying, but love's, uh, scripture says that love covers a multitude of sin. And what I recognize within myself is I don't love these people enough. Because if I love them enough... I would overlook this, and not overlook it in a way of like, just allow them to be sinful, but grace and mercy and prayer would be filled with them if I loved them more than the way that they're treating me. Now, guess what that ended up doing? That stepped on Macy's toes, right? But as Macy and I processed it, she's like, but it's truthful, So she said, Joey, I I would rather you be truthful to me, even if it steps on my toe, than for you to be permissive in my life and let me just live however I want. See, there's this accountability in marriage that sometimes we need our toes stepped on. And sometimes she's just like, you're being a big baby. And I'm like, can you just say it differently? Because I know what you're saying is real. Can you just hold me like a little baby and tell me I'm a baby? Can you just cater to me a little bit? So he's like, Joey, you just told us like 10 minutes ago that you didn't want to take us on these random stories, and now you shared this random story. Why are you taking me on this random story? Is because the woman that I love most, if I get to pick one person to live in here, it's going to be Macy. Sorry, Mom. Going to be Macy. A thousand times over. The woman that I love the most God has wired me or my personality or the conviction in my heart is still be willing to stand on truth before I am being passive. So sometimes when I'm presenting scriptures to us about like, man, we gotta go do the work of Christ. It's not out of a place of I don't love you. It's actually out of a place of I love you because I'm still doing it in my marriage. I love you guys so much. I care for you guys so much. We pray for you so often that we want, we want you, your hearts and your minds and your peace in your life to be aligned with Christ. So if you're like, dang it, he stepped on my toe, then I'm like, I stepped on mine too. You haven't even seen my feet yet. They're not beautiful. You got like, one toe is trying to say, oh, hey, hi, he's trying to high five my pinky toe. I'm kidding. That'd be disgusting. Anyone have one of those in here? (laughs) I was going to say that'd be disgusting, but then I figured I might step on someone's toe again. Anyone know someone in here that their big toe's trying to high-five their pinky toe? (laughs) Those people can't be trusted. That is a story. We're going there. Reel me in, accountability, stepping on my toes. Thank you. God sends us, right? God sends us. God is sending you today, and God is empowering believers today, not just for yourself, but to go out and do the work. I want you to feel that that today. I want you to recognize that today, that God is empowering you to go out into the world. Last point. We need the breath of God. God through our church, through our nation, through our families, and through our beings. We need it. So who in here today wants the breath of God to breathe life into them? I need the breath of God to breathe life into me. So Jesus continues, and then we're going to wrap it up and close it. Verse 23. I just wanted to mention this just as like, kind of like just, a tweener. Um, if, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So many people want to believe that Jesus was commissioning the disciples to say, hey, look, you can go out and you get to choose whose sins are forgiven or not. And I would say that that would actually, based upon the whole context of scripture, is not true. Is, 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 is not, I'm not saying that this scripture's true, but our thought process of understanding this scripture is often wrong because many people think that Jesus was commissioning certain leaders to go out and forgive sins. So then when we get priests on confessional and they say three Hail Marys or three whatever, I don't even know, Right? That's not the case. And that's where, pe- where people have been empowered before to say, well, a priest or a father or a pastor gets to forgive a sin. That's not true. What I believe is actually happening where, uh, here within the scripture is Jesus is giving the disciples the ability to proclaim the forgiveness of sin, to declare it to the world. So hey, look, if you put your life, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you get to walk in this forgiveness of sin. And when you walk in this forgiveness of sin, we can proclaim it. Dave's sins are forgiven. Sean Bay's sins are forgiven. Ray's sins are forgiven. And we know it and we proclaim it. Scott's sins are forgiven. My understanding is that Jesus wasn't giving the disciples the ability to forgive sin the same way that some churches do. Um, Last scripture. Because this can be seen in Acts 2:38 Peter replied Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit So what's happening is Peter is putting into practice what Jesus asked him to proclaim Repent for the forgiveness of your sins Any clarity on that So you don't have to come to me You don't have to go to a church to be forgiven. Scripture actually says confess to God to be forgiven, confess to man to be healed. So when I confess to God, and my spiritual issues, they're taken care of. But when I confess to man my sins, there's a healing and a cleansing that comes to place. So there's people in my life that I call and I say, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's how stupid I was. Here's how I messed up so that I can walk in peace. So Jesus brings peace. He's the only thing that can bring peace. Jesus commissions you and I. And when Jesus commissions you and I, he empowers us by the blowing of his wind, the Holy Spirit. We need his breath today. Amen? Close your eyes. I just want you guys, whoever wants the breath of Jesus to blow on them, just to raise your hand, you can just put your palms out in front of you, you can raise it high, you can stand up, just somehow acknowledge, just somehow acknowledge with your hand raised, man, my hands are raised, my hands are here, I I need the breath of God in my life, it can be your first time, and you're just like, God, I, I need your breath just to even know that you're real. Father, I need your breath today. We need your breath today. This world seemingly is just going to hell. And darkness seems to be taking over. So I ask that you would blow on us once again, that the wind of your Holy Spirit would fill us up. Help us have clean hands and a pure heart, Father. Empower us and send us. Give us boldness. Protect us from the schemes of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.